as you've figured out already, Pastor Mark is not here, so he's always a hard act to follow, but I'm going to make that attempt. And I think um, we may get the vision. I'm gonna, I, I, I talked to Pastor Mark and just said, what, do you have a theme or something on your heart that you would kind of like for us to cover? And I think he's going to continue along the theme of um, vision, mission, um, along those lines. And so what I thought I would do, and maybe we may get the mission slide up in a minute. If so, we'll refer to that. Um, and how are we doing? I'll see it back there, won't I? It's okay if we don't do it. If it doesn't make it, I'll go ahead and we'll go forward. I think it may come up. So I'm going to go ahead and jump forward. Uh, it was talking about uh, proclaiming Yeshua or Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and then helping people come into a meaningful encounter with him. We do that corporately as a, um, as a, as a congregation and individually. So I thought what I would do today is kind of pick up on that, hit a few passages from the Gospel of John on encounters, people-to-people -people encounters. Here we go. We exist to help people encounter Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you. I remembered it. And um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to attempt to talk today about encounter. How do you help people encounter this? And the first slide will be at slide 19 and 21. Uh, Yeshua was, um, this is John, who told uh, the disciples as Jesus was walking, behold the Lamb of God. There were two disciples there. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and, and, um, and saw them following and said to him, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, it's interesting here that um, when Yeshua uh, turned and saw them coming, he asked a question, a, a very simple question, what are you seeking? And they gave him kind of a lame answer, really, where are you staying? Which would probably tell us they, they might not have been comfortable saying the real reason, but they just gave him a reason. He accepted it. He didn't challenge it. But one of the examples we find here is one of the ways that we help people encounter Yeshua, the Messiah, is asking questions and listening to their answers. I remember um, we had, um, there was a season in our life where it seemed like we had music lessons every day. And uh, we had a music, um, a, a music teacher who became a family friend, uh, and, um, and they, when we first met him, uh, Nancy asked if, Nancy was by nature a very bold witness, so she said, well, tell me about your spiritual journey, and he said, I'm an agnostic, and so she said, um, an agnostic is someone who's searching, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, I guess so, and she said, what are you looking for? And he looked at her like, what? You know, uh, and so he gave her a, a few. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm condensing several conversations over time. And so Nancy uh, listened, and then she said, um, um, have you found it? And again, she looked at him. He looked at her and thought, what? And he said, no. And she said, I have. 
<laughs> and, uh, and, and so that propelled them on to, to more conversations. And it began by simply asking a question and listening. We have to be careful here because the faith community is not known to be real good listeners. We tend to listen with an agenda. And, uh, but Yeshua just asked a question, listened to what they said, invited, invited them to follow. Remember once I was, um, I had prayed, I was kind of up, prayed up and I was seeing these patients and I saw this one patient and um, so uh, I, at some point early in the conversation, I said, well, uh, what's your spiritual journey like? He said, I'm an atheist. So I said, okay, and we just continued talking. I, you know, he told me and we just kept going on. And, uh, and then he said, he, in the course of the conversation, he was saying, uh, Dr. Craig, I'm going to need your help. I'm really empty. I don't ha have no purpose. And I'm in my mind thinking, okay, okay, I'll talk to the guy. You know, it was almost like I was being hemmed in and um, no, no wiggle room here. I either had to deny the Messiah or say something. So I, I just asked a question. I said, well, have you ever connected your atheism to your emptiness? And he looked at me, never answered me, left after that appointment, never came back. But see, there was no pressure on me at that point. All, I was sowing. I was not reaping. I was sowing. And I just sowed a question that he didn't even answer. But that's part of how we navigate through encounters with those that we hope to introduce to the Messiah. So we might ask a question and then listen to what they say. Proverbs 21 says, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. If we listen to people, we'll figure out what they're trusting, and then we can relate to them more effectively. But if, if we're waiting till we get our turn to talk and we're not listening, then we miss this opportunity. Um, the, the next slide, John 1 it, it's slide 23, uh, Brayden. There we go. He found first. Now, um, Andrew was one of the two that followed uh, Yeshua. He found Peter. And it says, he found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Uh, Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, Cephas which trans translated means Peter. So Andrew simply continued a conversation. It was almost like he continued a conversation that he and Peter had been having. You know, these two guys, they were brothers. They fished. They, they shared life together. So he just went back to um, Peter, picked up the conversation. And it was almost like, hey, I found the guy we were looking for. Or we were talking about the other day, and he brought him to Jesus. It wasn't a complicated theological decision or discussion it was simply picking up a conversation with someone that you talked to before. Um, I experienced this uh, in, in my college days. Um, one of my roommates, um, Lynn, and I, we, we were assigned roommates, so you had no choice. You just were put together. I was just starting in my faith walk, and uh, Lynn was not anywhere near that. And uh, so we kind of bumped into each other frequently in conversations. And uh, we even went, went, went to Hawaii together with another friend who was not uh, in the faith community. It was really uh, a lot of friction. Uh, but he was a good guy. He's just we didn't have shared values. I remember one time we were in a boxing class. I did not like boxing. Nobody asked me if I wanted to take it. It was just I had to take it. 
And so we got, um, we were, I was sitting at my desk with my back to Lynn. He was sitting with his desk to his back to me. And the instructor decided Lynn and I were going to box each other. And I thought, oh my gosh, Lynn was like a windmill. He had no style, but he would come out in the ring and just start hitting. He never stopped. He, if he threw 200 hits, you know he's going to hit some. So I thought, there, there's no way I'm going to get out of this without taking some hits to the face. And Lynn was at his chair thinking, I don't want to fight Randy. Uh, you know, I did it because I didn't want to get beat up. I didn't like boxing, but I, I, I liked getting, I like boxing better than I like getting beat up. So that motivated me to get in and box. And so he and I got into the ring the next day. We really, we had already decided we didn't want to get hurt. So we kind of gave it really soft hits. And it was really a low-key match that we got cheated out big time by the instructor uh, but we survived, and uh, that whole semester we had bloody noses and sign. It was just it was a hard semester. Well, there was a number of things over the next four years where Lynn and I just exchanged life. I lost track of him. We graduated in 1971. Well, somewhere around the late 70s, I met this young airman who became a part of our soccer ministry. We have a soccer ministry. He's really a good guy. We, we all hit it real well. We used soccer as an outreach tool. That was for several years between 76 and 80, and then we went our separate ways. Well, over the course of time, Mark became a, Nor a Northwest Airlines pilot. And, um, and so he was flying on one of his routes, and he was assigned to a pilot who was flying his very last flight uh, before retirement. So they started talking. Uh, discovered they were both believers. They kept talking and discovered they both knew me. And, uh, so, uh, and so the older pilot said, how do you know Randy? And then he, as it turned out, this was my roommate, Lynn, who um, had come to faith after graduation and was a growing believer. So he and I reconnected. And he said, Randy, God used that time that we were together it was just life on life. It was sowing, just like Peter and Andrew had done. You know, you know, there were times where I was trying to get up for a quiet time, and I didn't get the alarm because I was tired, and my roommate yelled at me to get up and turn. The, you know, it was just imperfect, growing together, rubbing together. And Lynn came to faith. I was only a part of that, but he said it was a part of his journey. Uh, and so that's part of um, our encounters. We have life on life. People we're working with, sometimes it may be the people in our biologic or our families of origin. It may be our neighbors, but there's life on life. And it's not, not so much that there is a pressure to give the whole tamale at one time, but there is that life exchange. Next slide in John 1, Philip found Nathaniel uh, and said, we have found the one that Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And um, Philip said, come and see. And um, this is another principle of the encounter. He didn't answer um, Nathaniel's question. As you encounter people, they're going to ask questions. You don't have to answer every question. And if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know. In this case, Philip just didn't even address the question. He said, well, come with me and see him. And so Nathaniel came to him and then came to his own conclusion. Um, not a deep theological encounter. John, in John 9, remember the, the man that was born blind and um, the Jewish leadership was really mad and they said, give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. 
And uh, the man answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So you don't need to know a lot of theology, a lot of the Bible to, to encounter someone and help them see Yeshua. You just need to know what, what's happened to you. You may, you, whatever it is, you may have peace now and no guilt. You may experience forgiveness, purpose, whatever it is. The, the blind man just gave them what he had. Now, another, uh, moving on to John 4, it's really an interesting series of, uh, of interactions. This is um, um, slide 29, John 4, he said, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And uh, now, this is an interesting phrase, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, what strict Jews would do during that time is they would leave Jerusalem, go east, cross the Jordan, go north to the region of Galilee, cross the Jordan, and come back into Galilee. They wouldn't even go through Judea. Judea, Because the, uh, the Samar- they wouldn't go through Samaria. Because the Samaritans were considered to be in a perpetual state of ritual uncleanness. And um, so this phrase, and he had to pass through Samaria, uh, could, be, could mean it was necessary that he passed through Samaria. You can look at that one way and say, well, geography would dictate that you just go straight north through Samaria to Galilee. Or you could say, um, well, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father is doing. For whatever the father does, the son does in like manner. What it could have meant is Yeshua knew it was necessary to go through Samaria because God was going to do something there. He didn't know what it was necessary. He might have known or he might not. We don't know. But he knew it was necessary to go through Samaria. So there are times that in your life uh, there is a decision of obedience before you get to the, the encounter with someone that actually is going to either prepare you or distract you from that encounter. And at the time of, the, uh, of this prompting you may not even know there's an encounter around the corner but the point being obedience to the prompting of the spirit of god made him available to um to be to meet that woman at the well uh yeshua said if anyone serves me he must follow me and where i am there will my servant be if anyone serves me the father will honor him Uh, i remember um a couple of examples when I was an early flight surgeon, I had determined I needed to quickly advance. I didn't want to stay where I was. I was in West Texas, right by the border. And, uh, and so I began to look around for opportunities of training. It was kind of fun. I'd get a friend who was a pilot. We would fly a two-seated jet to various locations. They let me take it off. They let me land. So it wasn't like a hardship tour. It was something I, I got to do that was really fun. And... Um, but I was, I was in motion. I was going to go to a new place. And, uh, and then I, was, I went to the breakfast table with a group of uh, brothers. And this brother said, hey, I read a really neat verse today. And uh, so we were all listening. He said, woe to the rebellious people who execute a plan but not mine. And who make an allegiance but not of my spirit. God, God was saying, Randy, this is not the track you're supposed to be on. He just hit me just like that. He had no idea what this verse was doing inside my mind and heart. And so I laid it down. I quit looking. I stayed there. I was there another 
three or four years. But during that time, God blessed the ministry, and I met my future wife. Now, I didn't know that when I was going in motion, but it was the prompting that God gave me. It was a pretty strong prompting, and it was very clear. But I obeyed the prompting, and then I was available as time went on to experience his blessing with the, uh, on this particular place in West Texas and also meet Nancy. Um, another example is on kind of the flip side of that. I was, I was uh, doing disability exams on Vietnam vets, and um, ha- there were some really interesting characters, but this one I met, I was prompted not to say anything. But it's, you know, I was already geared up to witness, and so I ignored the prompting. I talked to him uh, at the end of the conversation. I think he went straight to the head of the organization, complained. I got reprimanded, and my job was at risk. Now, that, sometimes that happens as a result of the offense of the cross. But in this time, it happened because I ignored the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was saying, don't do this. This is a time to be quiet. Don't talk. But I ignored it and went forward, and then I got into some hot water because of that. So listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit before we ever get to the encounter can make us available to recognize the encounter when it comes. Uh, in John 4, 7, this is um, slide 31 and then 33 and 35. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Yeshua said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you ask me for a drink? You as a Jew, I, I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now remember, she had a bucket. She had probably a, a, a lathe or something to, uh, to dip the water with. The well was deep. And Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. One of the meanings of that is Jews would not use the same utensils as a Samaritan. But Yeshua was saying, let me have a drink, which meant he wanted to use her utensils to get a drink. That was very unusual. And she said, and then his answer to her was, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? She was still thinking on physical, pretty superficial terms. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank of it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? She was inviting him to get into a religious controversial discussion. Um, and so, and in this opportunity, Yeshua, who um, was tired and thirsty, got the opportunity. This didn't come at a time when he was at his best physically. He was weary, he was thirsty, but that's when the opportunity came to encounter. So sometimes they come at, at times and in places and with people that are just the opposite of what we would think. In Genesis, this happened to Jacob in Genesis 28. He said, surely the, it was on his way when he had the dream. He said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Paul, who was a very bold witness later, many years later, the Lord spoke to him and said, Paul, don't be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent. For I, have many, for I am with you. You think Paul needed to hear that? Apparently. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Paul didn't know that. But God came up and said, Paul, there's more going on here that meets the eye. Hang in there. I'm going to help you. I'm with you. Um, I remember, um, and so I remember I went to a retreat once when I was at the academy, and I, um, and as the woman, the woman went to the well to get water. She didn't go to the well to have a theological discussion. Well, I went to this retreat 
to get out of the academy. I didn't go for theological reasons. When I first got there, we, we, would go, we went from July to December. We could get off campus one time, and we had to wear a uniform. And then from January to June, we could get off campus one time. And then you could wear a blazer, an Air Force Academy emblem, gray pants, dark shoes. And so it was kind of a dress-up look, but you didn't have to wear a uniform. So it was very restricted. I remember one time my parents came to visit me, and I could get off the camp. I had to be back by night, but so they drove to Denver. And uh, they had come to Denver as, on part of their honeymoon in 1945. And uh, so mom was shopping. We went to a department store. This was back in the days where elevators had elevator operators. I'm not sure if you've ever you've seen an old movie, but they... Um, you know, they, would, they had a gate, almost like you put up in the stairs when you have young kids, you know, and the gate opens, and then you open the gate, then you manly open the door, you get in, and the elevator operator uh, takes you whatever floor, and then you get off on the floor. Well, I was in this building waiting for mom to buy. I, I was just over minding my business by the, by the wall. I didn't realize I was standing by the elevator. And this woman walked up and said, third floor, please. And then... <laughs> I, was, I looked like an elevator operator, and so she got in with her daughter, and I turned around, looked at her, and I thought, why not? You know, so I said, yes, ma'am. So I got in, closed the gate, closed the door, took her to the third floor, and said, third floor. And uh, she said, I think she tipped me. And then, but I thought, you know, I'm so, it's, I've, it's been so long since I've had fun, I'm going to have some fun here. But it was very restricted, so I went to this retreat uh, and um, I was taking a nap. I never got to take naps back at the, um, at the academy. And someone got me up to witness to me. It, I, it really ticked me off. I thought, I do not want to hear this. I would almost say anything to get him out of this. And, uh, but as much as I was disinterested, God used that to turn my life to go in a different uh, trajectory. Uh, my contacts, so it, it, I went, just like the woman at the well, I went to the retreat without any um, indication that I was going to do anything uh, spiritual, but I got trapped, and, and um, let me skip ahead here just for the sake of time. Um, with this um, woman, Yeshua took the conversation uh, in a little different direction and, uh, and became more personal. And uh, he, then he said, go call your husband. And that's when she said, I have, I, I've got five husbands. He said, well, you've spoken correctly. I have, you've had four, and the one you have is not your own. So then he brought it to a moral issue. And when he came to that issue, she tried, tried one more time to dodge it and go to theology. He said, I know that Messiah is coming. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Yeshua said, I who speak to you am he. So he gave her a clear witness, much clearer than he could give the leadership in Jerusalem. Uh, and um, so he patiently went through the relationship with her, asked questions, connected where he could. He connected on a very physical um, level at first, just on water, used that, and then got to the point where he could speak to her morality. Um, further down, uh, we see uh, Yeshua uh, left Samaria. Interestingly enough, his next encounter was with the Roman centurion. This is uh, slide 53, 55, 57. 
uh, when the man heard that Yeshua had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Now, this is a condensation. There's some verses between these. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke, and he went his way. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and he said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And he knew that it was at that hour that his son lived, and he believed. So Yeshua, in this missionary journey, went to a Samaritan, to a Roman centurion, turned around and went back to Judea. So it's kind of a, a previews of what's to come. This whole trip was based on Samaria and a Rome, a Roman. I remember um, there was a friend of mine who was talking to... Um, an Orthodox uh, Jew, and they were having a little bit of a theological debate. Of course, there's no, there was no way he was going to win the debate. The Orthodox knew more than he knew, and, uh, but they were engaged. It was a friendly debate, uh, and, uh, and then the, the Orthodox said, you know, I'm going to have to call it off. I, I have a headache, and the other guy said, well, can I pray for you? I'm not exactly sure how he did it, but the Orthodox said, sure, go ahead, and so he prayed for him, and the headache went away. And then the Orthodox, the, the Orthodox said, what happened? What did you just do? Took the whole conversation in a different way. So here in that instance, you had kind of a theological debate, uh, which didn't go anywhere. But what went somewhere was um, the power of God that trumped the theology. It's nothing like personal need and seeing that need met that'll make you re-examine your theology. And that's what, he, that's what he did in that conversation. And um, so if we summarize some of these encounters, I would say um, you don't have to answer every question that comes up. Uh, if you don't know the answer in a conversation, just say, I don't know. Um, ask questions and kind of cultivate curiosity. Uh, try to cultivate the value of just enjoying hearing a person's journey. Even if you don't get a chance to, to, to talk, to share your journey, at least listen to theirs. Stay alert to opportunities where the Holy Spirit prompts you during the day that may not look like there's any particular relevance at that moment to that prompting, but you don't know what's on the other corner, around the corner after that prompting. Uh, and then just realize that opportunities sometimes are disguised. Yeshua at the, at the well spoke to not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman, not only a Samaritan woman, but an immoral Samaritan woman. And so he saw, uh, he recognized the opportunity, which was somewhat disguised. And I think as we look at this whole arena of encounter and introducing others into a, a meaningful encounter with Yeshua, I'm, I'm reminded of Zerubbabel and the prophet who came to him. The Zerubbabel was... Uh, he and Joshua, uh, he was the governor, Joshua was the high priest. They were rebuilding the temple and meeting all kinds of obstacles. It was going slow. After the edict of Cyrus, when the Jews began, uh, when Israel began to come back, Judea began to come back, uh, it was 20 years from the laying of the foundation to the completion of the temple. So it wasn't a fast process. But the word to Zerubbabel was, uh, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. The obstacles we face 
won't be overcome by conventional means. Uh, whether it's our own prompting, um, our ability to relate, whatever our need is, we most likely won't overcome it with conventional means. We'll overcome it as we learn to walk in the Spirit uh, as we're walking through the day.